Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. This week's talk is called God's Purpose on the Sea of Galilee by Brother Will Taylor that was presented at the Rugby UK Ecclesia in September of last year. Um, I believe it's an evening lecture, um, judging by the introductions. Um, This was a suggestion from a brother. Thank you. Uh, It is a great talk. Uh, I found this uh, really easy to listen to. Um, Brother Will uh, compares a couple different stories that occur on the Sea of Galilee and aligns them with kind of the overall purpose of the whole Bible um, and God's entire message, which is a, a fun study. Um, so I was I was happy uh, to listen to it and happy to suggest it. I also think, and this does matter, I think it's a little bit of a, 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 a funny thing, but we listen to a lot of talks and sometimes just the particular voice accent kind of tone of the presenter is great and uh, makes it an even better listen. And I think uh, Brother Will has a really lovely uh, tone and it just made, made, to me, it just made for an even, even better experience. So I thought, no, it's, I know it's a, that's a, you know, obviously a trivial thing, um, but you are listening to a podcast and I just found this one extra enjoyable um, because Brother Will has a classic accent and a really, um, really nice uh, style um, to listen to. Um, obviously not at all as important as the content. Um, I just wanted to go ahead and make that note. Uh, so thanks again to the brother who sent this one over. Um, this is Brother Will Taylor on God's Purpose on the Sea of Galilee. Good evening, everyone. As Christadelphians, we accept that the Bible is the word of God, that it is inspired and contains from Genesis to Revelation a message that is complete and entire, authored by the creator of heaven and earth. And we accept that message and that within that message there's a purpose that God has with this earth. And that purpose is expressed in many different ways as we read through the pages of scripture. And the purpose of the talk tonight is to look at how that purpose is expressed in two different ways on those events that we looked at um, that have been read for us in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14 and also the parallel accounts. The reason that we want to do that is so that we can understand how, and, and this, is, this is a recurring approach to scripture, on so many occasions a message or an event is recorded for us in more than one place. And it's important for us to understand how we open the scriptures and start to pull apart what exactly it is that God's teaching us. Because on the surface of what we've read there in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew 14, accepting the fact that miracles take place, they're really quite simple narratives. In the first one, we have the disciples recorded as being in the boat with Jesus and there's a terrible storm uh, and then Jesus calms the storm. And in the second one, the disciples are in the boat. There's, again, difficult weather on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And when we read it at that level, we can understand how the disciples in experiencing those events would have their faith increased. 
but there's a much deeper message that runs through, which, which provides for us, as I've already said, um, an expression of God's purpose that's being outworked with this earth, um, but represented in the events that are recorded in those two scenarios. Now, the first scenario focuses upon God's purpose, the, the macro generic purpose that he has with this earth. The second one focuses upon an individual's relationship with God and their journey to his kingdom. And so the purpose for the next half an hour or so is to, is to look at that. And it'll be largely done on the screen um, with the first one that we're looking at based upon that first storm of the sea, which appears in three of the Gospels. It appears in the three what we call synoptic Gospels, Matthew 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8. And the fact of the matter is, is the way that God's designed his Bible, he's designed it to be read and meditated on, thought about and studied. And it's not possible for an individual to really start to understand what it is that God's really fully trying to communicate without putting some effort in. And so you can't fully understand what is being communicated on either of these two events as examples which occurs myriad times over in Scripture, focusing on different aspects of Scripture unless we compare scripture with scripture. So Matthew 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8. Don't worry about the next slide. We're not going to focus on the detail of it. The reason that what I want to show um, with that is, is for us to understand how we begin to piece this overall um, scenario together. So what I've done for both, for this, for the, the colour coding is that where there's grey shading there's a common point being made which occurs in all of the three scriptures. The Matthew account, the Mark account and the Luke account. Where there are the individual colours of yellow, green and blue, they are points that are unique to those passages. And it's by pulling the whole together, and it's not a difficult exercise, but pulling the whole together that we have a much fuller picture emerge than just, for example, reading the Matthew account. So I'll be piecing the scriptures together on the screen. Follow it as much as you want to with, with the Bibles on your laps. Um, but we'll see a, a powerful picture emerging. Now, the first one is much, more sim it's much simpler than the second. The second is, is more intricate and involved and is where we'll spend the majority of the time. But the first will, will help set the scene for us. So there's... There's a satellite image of the Sea of Galilee, that lovely sort of harp or heart-shaped um, lake, which at its widest part is, is around about nine miles uh, across. And this is where the disciples of Jesus spent, for many of them, the majority of their time, because that's where they worked. And so this was a place that they knew extremely well. And as is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8, they're about to get on their boat and get uh, sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And they're broadly, we're not given the specifics in this one, but we are in the second, they're broadly taking a journey, something like that. So we think about this, not just in what's recorded for us, but, but what God's purpose is, what's happening with regards to the development of God's purpose. So the first point that we're told in Mark chapter 4 and verse 36 is that the multitude have been sent away. So a whole group of people, disciples about to get on the boat, we'll see they're not alone, 
but a whole multitude is sent away. So this starts with a picture of separation, just as the Bible starts with separation in Genesis chapter 1. And that's fundamental principle to God's purpose, that people are called out to an understanding of his purpose. And so not everybody is going to be part of what we're reading that's going to take place. Because if you want to think of the Sea of Galilee in, this, in, in these scenarios as the world, it, it's talking about what's taking place on, on planet Earth at that level. That's what's been shown. So a multitude is sent away. And Jesus, in this account, gets into the ship and his disciples follow him. So Jesus and the disciples, Jesus leading the way, the disciples following him in answering that call. And then there's a destination that's pronounced in Luke chapter 8. So when, when they're on the ship and they're all together, there's the command that goes forth, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So there's an understanding of a destination. So these people who aren't part of the multitude that have been sent away, as they're in this ship with Jesus, they know that they're going over to the other side of the lake. They're not going to go into the middle and do some fishing and then return or, or go around the, the edge of the lake. They're going to the other side of the lake. And so there's, there's clarity as to the destination. And in scripture, we're clear about a kingdom of God that is coming where the capital will be centred in Jerusalem. And we note that they're not alone. So the disciples follow Christ. Now they're first, and historically, th this is what's being presented to us. Jesus is first presented to us in the scriptures, not by name, but in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, that there would be a solution to the problem, the challenge that exists in the world, which is sin. And until that problem is fully resolved, then this world is under a condemned state. It's a condemned phase. And it, and it can't prosper, and it's subject to sin, disease, death, all the rest that we see in the world around us. But there aren't just the disciples. There are all of these other little ships. There are all of these other believers that throughout the history of time, God has called to be part and parcel of his purpose. They've listened to the message. They've accepted it, and they're in the ship. So, so figuratively speaking, they are part of what the scripture would term as the body of Christ. That they're all one in Christ Jesus, in their separate vessels, but they're all there leaving and they're heading to the other side of the lake. And of course, scripture is very clear to say that not everybody's involved in God's purpose. People have free will that they exercise and not, everybody's, not everybody is aware of God's purpose because of the way it's been handled from generation to generation. And not everybody will accept it. So I've got a quote there from Daniel chapter 12 that many sleep in the dust of the earth not everyone because the bible will say that those that do not sleep perish they, they die forever once their life's over but all these in the ships they, they share this common experience at the end of their life and then as they're traveling across the sea of galilee jesus falls asleep silent in their midst and throughout the history of time for the last 2,000 years as, as this journey has been taken by all those that have followed Christ, having figuratively entered into the ships to follow him, they have this word, silent, in their midst. Jesus was 
the bodily reality of this word. This word was brought to life in him, his life, his personage. And, and, and here it is with us today. And it's silent and we, we can make use of that as we wish. But as a resource, it's there in the ship with them. Never leaves us. And as this journey is taken, there arises a great tempest in the sea. Now the Bible talks a lot about the use of sea and waves and water and the impact of these with their restlessness, with, with, with the waves that roar. It speaks about a time where there isn't peace, where there isn't calm. And here we're dramatically shown something that prophetically will happen, which in the book of Revelation is described as an earthquake, a political earthquake. Here we have an earthquake in the Sea of Galilee. And the word for tempest in the Greek there literally means earthquake. It's translated elsewhere as earthquake. And so as this tsunami erupts uh, in this relatively small sea, we can imagine, understand, that the impact on the boat is significant. The, the boat's not going to be able to survive in these conditions. And it talks about the conditions of the world that we see throughout history, where there are significant challenges, but also as it builds to what will be a climactic event when Jesus Christ is unveiled in this earth. Because the Bible speaks about his two appearances. The first, which was 2,000 years ago, and the second, as we read in the scriptures, when every eye shall see him and he will be unveiled upon the earth. And so the disciples, they're in this boat. All the disciples in their ships are in their boats. The word of God is in their midst and there are these, there is this terrific situation which strikes terror and fear. There's no peace for the world in this state that we're in. And the waves beat into the ship. It's now full and it's beginning to sink and it tells the story of humankind's travail in this age and we too are bound in the situation of this life we are caught up in the society of the day in which we live and, and it's sinking it's not something that's going to persist it's not sustainable and the problem is an overwhelming one i've got on the, the header there that that it is sin but it but it's it's Bringing this down, the, the consequences of sin's flesh means that there are trouble, there's, there's trouble that results in risk to loss of life. Now there's risk to loss of life for those that are not part of this because they're part of the multitude of the sent away and have nothing to do with this. But for the disciples themselves who are in the ship, who have got the word of Christ in their midst, they also are in jeopardy because at each epoch in the scriptures where we have something significant happening, many of them are found wanting in their response. Many of them are found not having enough oil in their lamps or they don't heed the call or they look back at what they are leaving spiritually speaking and so this is talking about the fact that the people of God are in jeopardy and Jesus is there fast asleep on a pillow and, and, and an earthquake has has erupted and taken place and it's it's showing us that Jesus will not respond 
until that specific time when God has placed on record that there is a time when Jesus will return. And the cry from those that follow these things, because of the difficulties of life and the challenges that we're confronted with, is as many people over the centuries have asked of God, do you not care? Do you not care that, that, that we perish? That there's no way out of this problem, of this challenge? What is it we're supposed to do? And in the context of the reality of these events unfolding, in a twofold sense, Jesus arose. He was raised from the dead, and he will also rise as the sun with healing in his beams, as we read about in Malachi. And as this resurrected Christ who destroyed sin, and this resurrected Christ who overcomes um, and, and implements the next phase of God's plan and purpose with this earth, with the institution of his kingdom, he has complete control over all of the elements. And this is drawn to our attention in many different ways throughout the scriptures of what will be the capability and the capacity of the Lord Christ who will be king in this earth. And so he will be able to rebuke the winds and the sea. And we've got a quote there from Psalm 2. But the nations of this earth, they will kiss the sun lest he be angry. And Psalm 2 is all about this particular scenario at this moment um, when the nations of the earth will seek to rise up against Christ and, and he will dismiss them with his fury. And the winds and the sea will be rebuked. And he will be able to cause that wonderful peace and Revelation chapter 14, the preaching of the heavenly gospel shall go forth throughout this earth and there'll be a great calm. There'll be a great calm like glass where the water is no longer tossed to and fro because of the tumultitude of sin. And when these things come to pass, there'll be that reflection for the saints, for those that have followed God. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so the point that's been made to us here with this particular regard is there might be terrific storms. There might be tremendous challenges that we feel uncomfortable about, that we're not happy with, and that we've got to strive against. But the scriptural message and import is that without faith it's impossible to please God. And then there will be acclamation about Jesus, the Son of God. Um, For unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful. So that first um, scenario on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and the disciples gives an overarching view of of what it is that God's going to outwork on this earth. As I've said, the second one is much more um, detailed and specific, and we'll have a look at that now. So Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. Now, you'll see by looking at this here, you'll see that it hangs together by some consistent wording 
but the differences are far greater. And so there's much more to do in terms of understanding and to get the full picture, you just frankly can't at all by just reading one of the accounts. They have to be brought together to understand the actual message. And this is the journey of a disciple. So for anybody that, that's you know, not yet baptised, this is the journey that we take. So we can be very specific this time. They start in Bethsaida. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And Bethsaida means fishing or the house of fish. And it was at that place, and disciples are from there, to whom Jesus said, you will be fishers of men, fish for the people. And so the people were fished, disciples were fished and they were caught. And they are going to travel to Capernaum. And at Capernaum, which means comforted by being sorry or repentance, these people are going to take a journey from being fished and caught by the gospel message and they will end up at a destination where there is true repentance. They will be comforted by being sorry through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ where their sins are forgiven and washed away forever. So we notice at the start of this that unlike the Matthew 8 account, we're told in Mark 6 verse 45, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. So these are individuals that have been fished and they've accepted the call and they've been baptised. And they're made to go into the boat. He's not giving them an option. You get in that boat. And they are going to go to the other side, to Capernaum, without Jesus. He's not in the boat with them. They are travelling alone. And whilst we have the word in our midst with us, of course, Jesus, after his first advent, he was raised up from the Mount of Olives to be at the right-hand side of his Father in heaven. He's our high priest and mediator. He intercedes on our behalf. And so... We find again that there's separation. These people have been clearly called. They've been baptised. Jesus has made them get into the boat. They're all in the ark together, the, the house together, however we want to think about it. But these people experience a fellowship and a grouping together which separates them and distinguishes them from all of the other people in the world. And so Jesus, we notice this time in Mark 6, verse 45, Jesus constrains his disciples to get into the ship and Jesus sends all the other people away. They have not responded to the message that's been sent forth. And so the disciples make their journey on their boat from this house of fish to this end destination of, of repentance, of consolation at Capernaum, whilst Jesus himself ascends up a mountain. And whilst Jesus is up on that mountain, he is going to pray. And that's Jesus' role now as our high priest and mediator. As I've already said, he prays, he intercedes on our behalf. And all those that follow him, they have him not with them in the boat, but they know that and believe that he is there interceding on their behalf up on high. And scripture is very clear to draw to our attention, Mark 6, verse 46, that Jesus is alone on the land. 
Gospel of John, chapter 3. No man has ascended up to heaven except Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is alone in this space with his heavenly Father, interceding on all those behalf who have accepted him through their understanding of the Bible and the waters of baptism and confession of faith. And so the disciples are making this journey whilst he is separate from them on the land. But we notice after a while that the, the point, so if, if we're looking, you know, the journey there that they're taking might be around sort of seven mile. And even was come. And, and the bulk of what is going to take place will take place in the darkness of the night. The darkness of this Egyptian night in which we live, the darkness of this world, because people love darkness more than they loved light, as John tells us in his gospel. And, and that, that darkness, that, that territory and that, 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 that phase and setting for where we live out our lives provides all of these challenges for all of us individually. Not one of us has a smooth path in life, not, not one. We are all frail and we are all subject to difficulty. But what, what the Lord is going to seek from all those that he's constrained to get into the boat is how do they cope when the difficult times come or the times come that are really problematic to them. We get to the point that at this time that the ship is in the middle of the sea. So like many of us in life, when we've accepted that call and we're in the ship and we've made that journey and we take on the responsibilities of life and life builds as it does, it gets to a point where you can't easily turn back. They're in the middle of the sea. They can keep pressing towards the place where there's true repentance or they can head back from where they've come from but neither are easy. They are in the middle of this thing. And they've rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, so they're just over halfway through this journey. We confirmed it's now dark, and crucially, we're told in John chapter six and verse seventeen that while this people are making this journey, that Jesus had made them get into the ship, that all of these people in the dark have been waiting for Jesus to come to them. There's an expectation that Jesus will return. But they haven't seen it yet. And it's starting to have an impact with the duration of the time that they're waiting and the challenge of the life that they're living. Because as Jesus is there at the right hand of his father and as he looks down from this mountain and he's alone on the land and he's praying, he observes his disciples and he sees them toiling in rowing. He sees that they're slow in their progress. He sees that they're finding it hard. And even though he does pray and he intercedes on our behalf, he sees that they have a significant problem. And it's significant because the wind was contrary. They're rowing into a headwind. And the wind is, is completely stultifying their progress that they might even be slipping backwards, closer back to Bethsaida. And the challenges of life which do weigh us down and which can cause us significant problems, they have this impact on us. They stop the forward motion, they stop the growth and the development 
and they stop the peaceable fruit of righteousness from so from more easily emanating in our ways. It all becomes very difficult and challenging. And then we read in, about, Matthew says in, Mark says about, the fourth watch of the night. We think about this in the context of God's purpose. The fourth watch of the Roman night was between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So they've been rowing all through the night. This difficult, tough journey. And it's now coming to the time when, scripturally speaking, Jesus will return for the new day. And so, in John chapter 6, verse 19, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, I missed one then. I was looking for where it popped up. Uh, number 15, at this moment in time, as we come towards the dawn of the new day, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And he comes near to the ship, and we can think about this as the Bible talks about us, as he talks about the followers of Christ as being the house of God. It talks about as being vessels in which God can dwell in terms of his character develops. But as this family of people who proclaim to be God's people are there in this ship and they've been looking for Christ to return, Jesus comes walking on the sea. He's drawing nigh to the ship, but he would have passed by them. This was a close-run thing. Jesus wasn't automatically just going to go to this ship and save this people. Why not? Because their challenges with the wind that is contrary to them means that although they don't realise it, they don't automatically recognise that it is their Messiah. They're so focused on the challenge that they're facing in that boat, and they're tired, and it's long in the night, that this all could have uh, passed them by, because underpinning it was fear. And, and fear is the antithesis of faith. You cannot be full of fear and full of faith. And that's why Jesus says to the disciples the last night that he's with them before he's crucified. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because fear closes our minds and our insight into what's really taking place. And so as this fear has this impact on them, we find that there's, there's still something there in this remnant of people that, that Jesus, he's able to speak to them. And he says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And as they hear the voice of the master, now we notice he's not yet in the ship with them. That's important. He's expecting, if you think about it, John chapter 6, verse 17, point number 10 on the overhead, they're expecting Jesus to come to them. Now, quite clearly, they would not have expected him to come to them walking on the sea. 
whilst the Bible says that Jesus will come as a thief in the night and we do not know the exact mode and means by which this will be accomplished, they were not expecting the miraculous in that sense. But they were expecting him, whether it was by some other vessel, to come and meet up with them or otherwise to meet him at the other side. But, but he comes at this point in time now and he says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And this vision of their Lord is something that instills in Peter as a representative disciple here that he says to Jesus, bid me come into the water with you. And so with his vision fixed on Jesus, Peter leaves the ship. He goes out into, figuratively speaking, the world, which is what the Sea of Galilee represents. But he's got that vision burning closely of Jesus, seared in his mind. And Jesus says, come to me. But the impact, the consequential effect of the violent wind, the movement of the water, the undulations up and down, as we know, and if you see the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that storms do come quite quickly on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, it's a known, it, it's, it's a known um, weather phenomenon in, in that region. But as the waves come up and down, as the undulations are there, the vision of his Lord sort of is there, but then it's not. And we have this persisting theme here in this picture that's been presented of the difficulty of retaining vision of Jesus. Firstly, Jesus is going to pass by them in the boat, but here there's insufficient vision that means that all of a sudden Peter loses his nerve, he loses confidence, and, and fear is, is in him once more. Fear that he's going to sink. And he says, he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus again has to say, thou of little faith, why do you doubt? And so in both these scenarios, fear and doubt play an important role that compromise a disciple's strength and conviction in the purpose of God that's been revealed to them. At this point in time, and this is a significant part, we notice that, that Peter has been restored, the disciples are still in the ship, they have a clear vision of their Lord, and their Lord is received into the ship. And we notice the words of John 6, verse 21, they willingly received him into the ship. And that takes us right back to the law of Moses, where the edict went forth that people should do things willingly with their whole heart, because if the spirit isn't willing, then it's material that God can't use. And so although there's been a mix of fear and challenge in this journey, they willingly let him into the ship. And when Jesus returns to the ship, we think of first of Peter, judgment must first begin at the house of God. When Jesus is in the ship, and we notice that they were, you know, they were only sort of at best two-thirds of the way on the journey here, immediately John 6 verse 21 tells us the ship was at land when they went. And so the point is, although there's a journey that needs to be done with the fulfilment, the outworking of God's purpose on this earth, the moment when the, when the, moment when the disciples are called by Jesus and they are together, immediately they are at 
the kingdom. Immediately they are at that place of judgment. And equally, as challenging as life is, and as much as it does wear us down, scripture is also very clear that there comes a point in time when this, this is no more. Just as everything in life, as Ecclesiastes is keen to point out to us, everything has a start, everything has an end. And this for the disciples is the end. There's no more living of life, there's no more opportunity. The point that they're at is the point that they're at. And immediately they are at land with Jesus. And just as we will be when the kingdom is here, Jesus returns. Things are suddenly transformed Life as we knew it is suddenly gone and we recognise it's gone. And Mark 6 verse 51 tells us that the disciples are so amazed in themselves beyond measure. And even though it's recorded, and even though we believe it with our whole heart, the transforming impact of the reality of seeing it will have us in this, in this way, emotionally. Amazed beyond measure. And we will say, of a truth, thou art the Son of God, because he will be with all those that have been called throughout the ages. Meanwhile, as Jesus is with all those that have followed him, and there's a process that will culminate with the kingdom being established, John 6 verse 22 tells us that the day following... The people which stood on the other side of the sea, so these people that Jesus himself had sent away, they're looking and they're seeing that the boat's gone. They're seeing that the disciples have disappeared. And they're going to search for these people. And so in John 6 verse 23 we're told, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So the remaining people that, that are curious as to why it is that these people have gone missing and that Jesus has gone missing, they themselves will be given opportunity, if they're alive at that point in time, to receive the preaching of the heavenly gospel, as we said, Revelation chapter 14. So that's a quick overview of, um, of those two, which I think are quite interesting snapshots of what it is that God has purpose to do with this earth. Our earnest prayer is that for all of us, that we live in a world that's dark, we live in a world that's struggling. It's always been that way. But we pray that we'll each use the individual autonomy that God's given us to think carefully about how our life's shaping up and how we see our future. And it might even be that we all take the choice that we want to understand God's word and be a part of his plan and purpose. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks 
on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel, where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week. Bye.